Welcome to Winston and Strong's Let's Talk Lending Podcast. I'm Andy Hutchinson, a finance partner in our Chicago office. I'm delighted to be joined today by Rachel Gray, one of our New York finance partners. Rachel has insight on both borrower and lender sides of complex leverage finance transactions. So we're excited to hear her perspective on today's topic. Uh, back in July of 2021, we spoke on the podcast about LIBOR replacements. Today, we're going to be discussing the transition from LIBOR to SOFR and recent market trends that we're observing. Rachel, how are you? Hi, Andy. I'm good. Thank you. Happy to be here again. Terrific. Well, ha- happy that you're here. So let's talk a little bit about, I guess, what we're seeing. But but first, I thought it would be helpful, maybe more for, for me than anything, just to sort of recap in terms of, of where we're at and, and the sort of playing field that we're operating in, at least in regards to, and I'll speak for myself here, sponsor-led acquisition financings or sort of syndicated corporate financings, debt financings, and sort of what benchmark are we seeing and what's happening with LIBOR. So my understanding is that uh, as of uh, the first of this year, uh, regulated banks are no longer uh, permitted to use or issue debt uh, that references LIBOR. And uh, at least in my practice, what I've seen is that that applies both to true new issuances and, and new uh, you know issuances of, of new sort of incremental debt, material amendments, DDTLs, similar transactions. The regulated banks, the, the transition from LIBOR to a replacement rate, which for the most part is, has been termed so far, has been a, a big focus. On the other hand, uh, non-bank lenders, so direct lenders, private credit, continue to enter into new deals, issue new debt, new incrementals, uh, et cetera, uh, referencing LIBOR, not say, because those uh, those lenders are not subject to the same regulatory re- regime as as a bank. Although, as a, as a reminder uh, to folks that are listening, you know the remaining available LIBOR tenor, so your one month, three month, um, six month, your back office can still get LIBOR rates on those um, settings through mid 2023. I think after that date, uh, at least as it as it stands now. You, you won't be able to, to, to actually get to you know, calculate LIBOR uh, after sort of middle of, of next year. So th- that's sort of where we're at on, on sort of like a really big picture where we're at on, on LIBOR. I guess we'll start with, with Rachel. I'd love to hear kind of Rachel what what you're seeing in the, you know, some of the deals that you're currently working on. I, I think that for my practice in the bank deals, there's no really discussion about you know, LIBOR versus something else, it's it's really term SOFR uh, as a starting point. And then there are some nuances with respect to, to term SOFR that folks kind of focus on. But whereas last year, you know, there was still some some talk and focus on like, li- you know, LIBOR replacement language and, you know, hardwire versus amendment, et cetera. That, that's, I, I haven't had those conversations this year and probably haven't had them since maybe Q4 of, of last year. I think that that's right. I think, you know, when we spoke last, last July, there was still definitely a focus on, on the language for LIBOR replacement. I think it was becoming clear at that point that term SOFR was going to be the front runner as the replacement rate, but there was still a bit of uncertainty about that. And I know some of the banks were pushing different rates. 
I will say that so in Q4 of last year on deals that I was involved in, particularly, you know, LBOs that were in the market and, and you know, they were seeking commitments for the commitment papers, all contemplated closings happened after January 1st that the loans would originate in term SOFR. So, and then what we were seeing then was, I think, a move away from the ARC credit spread adjustments that were sort of suggested in the hardwired language. And in the commitment papers, people were sort of guessing at, at what the credit spread adjustments would be for the new SOFR tenors. Um, so generally they would set, so sometimes there was no adjustment and there would be flex to add adjustments. Sometimes there'd be a 10 basis point adjustments and there'd be flex to increase that to a 10, 15 and 25 basis point adjustment for one month, three months and six months SOFR tenors. So that's sort of what we were seeing toward the end of last year. And then I would say that from, and this was obviously all probably deals led by regulated banks. And then starting starting in January this year, and even in a couple of deals that closed late last year, I have only seen deals originate in terms so far. I have not seen any done anymore that originated in, in LIBOR, including with some of the direct lenders. So I guess they're just moving that way now as well. And yeah, there's definitely less discussion about the replacement language because it becomes less relevant now. Um, I think it's being implemented fairly consistently ac across the board, but that is term SOFR is. And I think the biggest discussion is around the credit spread adjustment, as I said, and what that will be. And I think, you know, borrowers and sponsors <laughs> who have power are pushing back on there being a, a credit spread adjustment at all. And their view is just that the rate should be set to sort of compensate for that from the get go. And I, they're having success in that as well. I, I don't think in deals that have closed this year that had the flex, I don't think that I've seen that flex exercised. So oftentimes the deals will close with the with no adjustment or a, just a 10 basis point adjustment. So that's, that's sort of what I've seen in the last couple of months. I guess what I've seen mirrors yours, your experience with, you know, it's either flat 10, uh, 10, 15, 25, or um, those are actually the only, the only two flavors in terms of amount. One thing I've seen, which I thought was interesting, I, I haven't seen it clear, but I, I've seen the comment made is to include in the spread adjustment, a mechanism that basically says, look, you can have your, whatever it is, 10, 15, 25 for, you know, a, a period of time. Um, if there is a, you know, then the borrower and agent can, can talk about it. Yeah. Um, I've seen language like that. And it sort of says if, if the market moves towards a different or a, a, a better, a more borrow favorable adjustment that they will take that into account. Some of the, the language that I've seen goes back to sort of the old LIBOR replacement language that we saw that sort of said that if there was, you know, five deals, at least five deals in the market that had <clears throat> adjustments that were better, that then they could, that, that then actually it would automatically switch to those adjustments. So yeah, I agree. I've, I've seen that too. I also closed a deal this week for a direct lender and they were insistent on sticking with the ARC credit spread adjustments, which borrowers council kind of questioned and, and pushed back on initially. And, and I think we all acknowledge that that wasn't necessarily 
consistent with what we were seeing in the market, but the client wanted to continue to push those and, and they ultimately got them through. So, Did a little bit of prep for this, read some articles. It, it does seem as though there's, there's maybe an expectation that credit spread adjustments and, and this sort of focus on CSAs will actually fall away, right? As, as term SOFR becomes more widely adopted and just, you know, wholesale at some point replaces LIBOR entirely in the not too distant future, right? Then you just have, there's nothing to adjust to. It's it's just term SOFR enough time has elapsed between the transition from LIBOR to term SOFR where you, you no longer need the, the CSA at all, but. Yeah, um, that makes sense to me that that would be the way it goes away. What about the regulated bank versus kind of direct lenders distinction? Because there definitely is one. I mean, there's a clear distinction in terms of you know, the approach and focus on you know, LIBOR transition and the mechanics and, and operational issues, et cetera, that arise in connection with, with that transition for regulated banks versus at least the direct lenders that I work with, you know, the, those folks would say just as a general rule that the direct lenders that I work with don't really seem all that focused on on the issue, at least not right now and not in deals, you know, at least not at the deal team front. Maybe there are discussions um, at, at different parts of of those institutions, but you're not from a not from a kind of front end perspective. And interestingly, I I had heard that you know some direct lenders are actually using that distinction as a sort of you know from a marking perspective to this a distinguishing factor yeah like as a positive differentiator yeah, yeah. saying hey we can you know we know you you know if the issue with with term sofer and the library replacement is is kind of a pain hey don't worry about it it's not an issue at all it's status quo the last doc we did for you two years ago with library we'll just take that off the shelf and use it <laughs> um, i got away with that for so long though but yeah I can, I can, yeah, I can, and uh, yeah, they can get away with for, for sure for for this year. I think they can probably continue to get away with it, but but there does definitely seem to be like a real a real distinction there where where um, you know some of the direct lenders just don't uh, they are still originating new deals with just LIBOR. They definitely they definitely seem to be much more relaxed about it. I mean, obviously the regulated banks have had like tasks for task force looking at this for the last couple of years, and and they have a lot of processes and conversation around it but I, I think it's interesting because you, know, you and I were talking about this before before we started recording but I, I'm working on a transaction and it's an incremental facility for you know a company that has an existing existing loans with with one of the banks and in connection with that they're going to have to do a SOFA amendment because it's an incremental revolver so the pricing has to be the same for the new revolver and the way the language in the credit agreement works the replacement language they, they have to just do it across all of the facilities but as it you know i think in in my mind the banks have become pretty efficient at this already even though we're only in well we're in we're in march 2022 now and they've been doing this since january or even late 2021 um but there's still a lot of questions coming up and a lot of you know things we haven't seen before things they haven't seen before things that they haven't thought about like the credit agreement doesn't specifically say what will happen or when the transition to SOFR will happen so will it be at the end of the existing interest periods or if not if it's in comes into effect on the date that the SOFR amendment becomes effective 
you know, will there be breakage? Obviously the company wants to limit their exposure to that. So then they want the, the SOFA amendment to be conditioned upon their ability to get this new incremental facility. And there was sort of, again, re-looking at the language to see whether they could even do that. The, the language that's in the document is a negative consent and it's pretty, as it's written, it's pretty clear, or, or it seems to be, if you read it plainly, say that we post this amendment, if there's no negative, if there's no objections, it becomes effective. So to us, that would suggest that there is very limited conditionality you can put on it. Um, and these are all things that we're sort of talking to the bank about. And surprisingly to me, that they haven't had it come up yet. I'm sure it will come up later in the year. And but we're sort of trying not to break new ground for them and, and they are reluctant to break new ground. But there's these all these issues that are arising that I frankly was surprised at that they hadn't sort of been worked through already at this point in the year. So. Putting the incremental revolver amendment aside. So the amendment with respect to term SOFR, is that arising via the existing hardwired language in the dock or whatever the replacement language is in the existing yeah i mean the conditions for a LIBOR re replacement ca can be triggered i mean it could be triggered at any point in time if the agent wanted to call it or the rec lenders wanted to call it because whatever the the benchmark transition conditions were this was it, the language in this particular credit agreement is not straight like our hardwired replacement language but but they could call it so for amendment at any time they wanted to but obviously they're sensitive to the company and and the company not necessarily wanting to switch over earlier than they need to so it's just been looking at whether they could do a tranche by tranche but actually this particular facility has multiple tranches but there's no tranche voting so the negative consent is just a required lender consent so that means that everybody is gonna whether or not they do it to one tranche everybody gets to vote. So it's just going to, everybody's being dragged along because of this. Yeah. And, and these are things like, you know, you know, people weren't necessarily thinking about or at front of mind when we were all talking about the LIBOR replacement language, when, when that was sort of being worked out. Like, it's funny when you, you see it being put into practice now, there's, you know, an innumerable amount of things that nobody ever gave thought to because it, you couldn't anticipate it. To your point, you know, just the question of, of timing, right? If, if it's, if you're breaking the existing contracts versus waiting till the end of, of the month. And if you do break, presumably my guess is the company probably said, well, we want you to, to waive the breakage cost. Yeah. And they have, they have relationship lenders, but also terminal B lenders. So there's just a large, so they don't really know what to expect. There's no way of knowing, really. Well, you know, I, I do think it's it's a good opportunity, um, you know, for, for us to, with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, go back and, and, you know, really take a look at that language. And then to the extent that, you know, it makes sense to, to make tweaks and edits based on, you know, the real world application that you're seeing on this, you know, deal that you're working on now, uh, you know, to make those, those tweaks, um, on deals going forward. Yeah, but I just don't think that we're going to see as much of this LIBOR, uh, except for in the direct lender deals, we're not seeing as much of this LIBOR replacement language. It's sort of become moose, at least for the regulated banks. 
it's and and you can't go back and amend that language without a full lender consent. I think that's part of the problem as well. So <laughs> it, we can't really fix some of these problems in the amendment because it would require the consent of 100% of lenders. For sure. So. Yeah, maybe I guess I was thinking maybe like the SOFA replacement language. Yeah, I think I think that can be that that can definitely be worked in. Although that's another thing that's arisen on on this particular one is whether or not you would need 100% lender consent to add in SOFA replacement language because it currently just has the general LIBOR replacement language. Our read of it is that it could be a the LIBOR conforming or the, the LIBOR replacement conforming changes in the document that we have specifically says, you know, other administrative or technical changes in connection with the implement implementation of the SOFA rate. So I think everybody has come to the view that basically if we duplicate the existing LIBOR replacement language for SOFA, that that's just sort of an administrative trait change because we have to legislate for what happens if SOFA goes away for whatever reason. But there was some sort of back and forth again on that and whether we could even do that and whether we would just sort of go naked in the document with any without any sort of replacement language for SOFA because otherwise it would trigger a a greater lender vote. Are you still working through these issues sort of real real time? Uh, they're still ongoing. Yeah, there's a lot of back and forth, but that one I think we settled that we can do it. Credit spread adjustments seem to be a, a focal point of, of discussion. Um, and, and it seems like there's uh, not enough data points yet to, to determine What's truly, you know, market, um, and, and it also feels as though market will depend on, sort of the the space in which you're you're operating in. So I, I think there will be a distinction between your your you know middle market sponsor led acquisitions versus your BSL spot. Well, may, may, those may actually end up aligning, but versus your sort of corporate credit, uh, you know, non sponsor uh, financings, whether they're unsecured revolvers or or, or otherwise. And then this sort of additional real work and analysis involved in actually implementing right term so for in connection with you know LIBOR replacement language. And that's the example that that you gave, Rachel. And I think that's something that uh, will continue to it's gonna require a, a work, right? Uh, unless you're entering into a new deal. Or already doing an amendment that requires, you know, 100% vote, uh, where, where it's an easier question. Uh, I think that's, I think that's going to continue to be a, a focal point. And, and then I guess finally, you know, again, the distinction between sort of the approach that regulated banks um, have have had to take in terms of no longer issuing LIBOR uh, in connection with with you know, new issuances and um, and direct lenders who, who are not subject to that same, um, those same restrictions. And it looks like we're, we're at the end of our, our time here, our 30 minute time talk. Rachel, did you have anything else uh, you wanted to, to share or, or talk about? Um, I didn't think so. I think that covered off sort of most of what we're seeing right now. I'm sure it'll um, continue to evolve. Like you said, I think really the, the most challenging part is now dealing with the SOFR <clears throat> amendments as opposed to new deals originating in SOFR, because on those you're just working within the confines of whatever the document says and 
the reads of the language and the lender consents that you need. So I think that's going to be the, that's going to be the area that throws up a few more interesting questions and issues to work through. And then, like we said, we'll see what happens on the credit spread adjustment, whether that continues on or if it eventually falls away. Yeah, yeah, agree. Well, thank you, Rachel, for joining me today, and thank you all for listening to our Let's Talk Lending podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via i uh, pardon me Apple iTunes or Google or by visiting the Winston and Strawn website for more insights on the latest market updates and trends. Rachel, have a great day. You too. Thanks, Andy. Okay. Cheers. Bye-bye.